This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right, y'all. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. The swell of synchronicity has been quite large and frequent. I'm up here in Boulder, Colorado with my new friend, seemingly old friend, Wes Atkinson. How I know you, I would probably, it's probably would be challenging to, let me see. Basically, as many of the people that listen to this podcast probably know, that I believe speaking is praying. So at one point while I was up here in Boulder, I was with a super connector. And I think one of my abilities is to recognize patterns. Her name is Raquel. She's actually where I just hosted the recent debut of the Breaking Normal Sensory Deprivation Speed Dating Experience at her store, Taspin's Organics, here in Boulder. She manages it. So I'm in this super high-vibing space with this super connector. And I think how what happened was I was expressing – they were, like, asking me, well, what am I up to now in Boulder, like, with this new lifestyle? And I think one thing I said, I was like, I definitely want to partner with – someone that understands the land and how to take people through the experience of hunting wild animals and being able to provide food, like the best quality food for their family, themselves, their tribe. And she's like, oh, (laughs) you've got to meet my friend Wes. Um, And sure enough, we're here. And since I've met Wes, we had a meeting about a week ago, my understanding of you, Wes, uh, if I was going <laughs> to paint the brush here for the public, is that you are a master or outdoorsman and humble, so I'm not sure if you're going to cut me off and be like, whoa, 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 but a master outdoorsman um, that definitely understands the patterns of animals and how to procure them and curate them into the best food for exactly what I was looking for. Like you're a master of that. That's why I kind of understand. And that you hosted the first online live hunt. Is that correct? That part? That is correct. Yeah. 2013, (laughs) we figured out how to broadcast to an IP address, an actual live event. And I had two young women that met me in the field and we harvested live with an actual live audience uh, a mule deer buck. And where was that at? In a town, uh, southern Colorado, southwest Colorado. We'll leave the town out of it. Okay, and this is probably a um, a big deal, especially in the hunting world. So this is like the date, the debut of this. Well, idea. It, it was in a way, it was an unsuccessful experiment. Um, the idea was to tell the truth. The idea was to actually, so much of the outdoor channel is edited. We have gotten to a place of needing to be politically correct that everyone is slightly afraid of just sharing what the outdoor experience really is. So my thought was, well, I feel like at this point I'm comfortable enough uh, being known for who I am. I might as well just create an opportunity for success or failure live and let the world chime in, see what people thought. And it brought up a lot of triggers for a lot of people, and it mostly brought up the opportunity for the girls to look bad because they had an audience. So they really felt the pressure of the opportunity to fail, say, wounded animal with a live audience, which is incredibly (laughs) triggering. So just so I understand correctly here, these girls were hosting this event, and you were like the hunter? 
Or... Well, I had an outfitting company. Okay. So I used it for marketing and diversification. I got a little bit bored with just taking people hunting. So I thought, well, why not? I'll see if I can create something new. So they they were the gals that hunted, and then I facilitated because I had so much private property leased, and I had so much resource, uh, deer tags, elk tags, antelope tags, turkey tags, and a lot of land to hunt either Nebraska or Colorado that I had leased with my company. So they capitalized on the resource, and then I capitalized on I don't know what I capitalized on. <laughs> so in in my understanding in this experience they they got a mule deer but it was wounded or there was what what was the issue or what was the It actually went perfect. She actually the deer came like clockwork. I had patterned the buck for about a week, maybe a week and a half. And then I had to get cell phones. So this is before 4G is even all over in Colorado. This is several years ago, 2013. 5G's next. Right. I think it's already yeah. happening. That's, That's already a whole other conversation. Maybe I'll plant that seed for <laughs> here, but keep going. Please. Anyway, so I had to, to find a place where a deer consistently walked by with a signal that was strong enough to send the message to the IP address with the cell tower. So there's this technology. It's called a bond and a tear deck. And we plugged those in and then welded them together and then had an HDMI cord that went to an NX5U Sony camera. And then from that camera in real time with those extra modems and that technology, we broadcast the signal to an IP address. And the mule deer strolled right by, right in the shot, and she shot it and killed it. Killed it. Like a good kill. Dead on camera right in front of everybody. And then did they harvest the animal next? Or was that the end of the show in a way? Uh, I'm not sure I understand. Like, did they cut the animal up and show you how it turned into meat? Oh, well, or? in that one, uh, it was getting dark, so mm-hmm. no. So I actually went and just got it and drug it back um, to the truck. And that was the first time that's been done on the Internet? Well, actually. yeah, I think that's a – it would be safe to say that. <laughs> so there there might be somebody argue. I, I can think of two very well-known TV hosts right now that um, a year – after we did what we did, made an announcement that they were the first. But I don't know. Seems like we well, we got there close anyway. Regardless, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> breaking normal. It's definitely breaking normal. Um, yeah. And it's th- there's a few things like you mentioned. There was a lot of triggers. I I imagine a lot of people might be triggered right now. Like, uh, wait, they were hosting. Why? Like that just probably just the whole idea of hunting and. Hmm. So that's one thing I just wanted to make sure we address. But the other thing is, before all this, you were a minister before this. <laughs> is that correct? Uh, yeah, that is correct. A yeah. minister in a Christian church? In a yeah, full-blown Christian church. Very literal, uh, non-denominational Christian church. Uh, and <laughs> did you say? <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll hear that. Did um, And where was that at? Colorado. Mostly Colorado. I'm from a town in northwest Colorado. Well, one of my friends is probably closest, and this is a seed that I'm planting for the end of the conversation as well, more towards the tail, is where Wes and I are teaming up uh, because my friend Brandon Hawk, he's from Texas, is most very close to the area where I think this ranch is. That Wes and I had, after meeting, we spoke out loud, we prayed, we spoke out loud and just put some ideas out there in the ethers, I'd say, 
and the response has been pretty profound, so much so it looks like we're going to be doing the next Tribe Design, which is Tribe Design 15, um, at the end of April. And it's going to be a hunting experience where there's going to be an opportunity for people to invest in their time and money and energy into being there for the experience without hunting and for with hunting and with the ability to not only take arguably some of the best meat home. Meat uh, is, is this our opportunities to take the meat home would be from Axis deer? Is there other animals as well? Yeah, it seems like the landowner wants to cull 10 to 15 females. And the variety is black buck, which is an antelope from India, and then axis, and then fallow. So, interestingly enough, the latitude in India that those three animals live at is very similar to Texas, to Austin, Texas. So, those three, they're not native to the United States, but they are native to that latitude. Well, one thing I remember about what you said with the Axis deer is that they're arguably the best tasting deer meat. They are very tender, very delicious, yeah, very user-friendly wild game, game meat for sure. So we have this unique <laughs> future that we're remembering out loud together on this podcast. But before I get to any more details about that, um, I want to learn more about you. And if someone is like, I got to be at that experience, hit me up. Daniel at breakingnormal.com because the spots will be limited and what I love about this is it's so resonant it's like resonant with what tribe design means to me and probably a culturally convicting way yeah there's a lot of accountability in hunting T tell me about the it the utmost accountability <laughs> Ta taking a life you're on earth saying I have the right to end this heartbeat and that makes a man think yeah, so what are your thoughts about that? Because I am, that's that's what I'm probably most excited about exploring out loud with you here. Oh, can you ask me something specific? So, yeah, yeah. That's like it's yeah. super big. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I was I was going to see if you, you had something yeah. coming up specifically. And you're talking about how it can make a man think that, Historically and currently, man has gotten to where it's gotten because it has decided it has the right to take another heartbeat away. Yeah, uh, how we got here, that's a tremendous mystery and kind of a conversation in itself. But so far, it seems like for us to live that other things have to die. Yeah. And that can be from farming and tilling the soil and taking down trees and removing the atmosphere of all smaller critters, or it can be going out in the wild and killing a bigger animal that provides food for a group of people for an extended period of time. Sure. However it arrives, either way, it's a, it's definitely worth thinking about. It's a dilemma. I mean, I, I think that the conversation of being responsible and saying – I'm going to, if I'm going to eat meat and animals are going to give their lives for me, then I'm going to be the responsible one taking that life. But not all of us can even do that. So then, and, yeah, where did this begin with you, and where are you at with it now since it began? Since me being a hunter yeah. from a little guy, mm -hmm. oh man, I've changed so many different times. I think I started out with the excitement. Um, there's something that's just very basic to my DNA, which is 
hunter. I think in terms of hunting. I process information in ways of hunting. I learned about life uh, and death uh, so much just from pursuing an animal. Having a weapon in my hand and countless acres of land and even as a little guy um, six seven eight years old that primal desire to pursue an animal was just who I was it was me and it, I, it kept me awake at night I couldn't focus during tests at school I would actually just be thinking about being in the outdoors with the animals um, the first time that I took a life um, was with my BB gun. Wow, this is very interesting. Um, I was so excited. I'll just leave out the details. Um, but the the sense of wonder and amazement and confusion and curiosity and just what the the emotional connection to that little person and that sudden realization that I had that ability um, for an animal to perish with with choices that I made. Uh, it was incredibly presencing. And then from there, um, it began the relationship between my dad and I. And that was how I learned to, to understand the middle of nowhere. Um, to actually learn just the simple thing of the difference between a deer track, a rabbit track, an elk track. And the, I guess you would just say the, the absolute total awe that I experienced. Um, I don't know. I, I know some others that also remember some of the best days of their life um, in the pursuit of their very first deer or their very first um, elk. And for me, I guess that's where it started. It started with just complete, I was encompassed. I was totally captivated by the opportunity to hunt, to pursue an animal. I love what you just expressed. Um, thank you. And I mentioned Brandon Hawk earlier. The way I first was introduced to hunting was pretty much probably a year and a half before now. Just as I was talking about speaking and praying out loud because I think I'm in the space of a super connector and this is probably going to answer my prayers in the way that I want to or better. I did the same thing in Austin, Texas in Brandon Hawk's kitchen. And Brandon Hawk's a previous interview on the Break Normal podcast. He's an awesome guy. Real good friend. Um... And he's like, oh, you got to meet my friend, my brother-in-law, Clay. Clay is completely captivated in this realm and a master at it. And that's where I went hunting. And it was the opening day of deer season in Texas. And they had their deer camp that has been going on for like 35 years or something. And I... What went there with the intention that I want to bring back a pig and deer for my family because Clay was like, "What do you want to do?" Like he had ever this guy's like he he's gone in competitions for hunting cougars and beyond. Yeah, it's like he's this guy is tapped into something that I was completely mystified mystified about. And um, Clay, he might be listening to this. Hey, Clay, what's up, man? A lot of respect, a lot of respect for you and Wes. 
um, and and everyone else that connected to this because it was humbling. He basically guided me exactly into the space where I had my gun pointed at a herd of pigs that was coming right up on us. And sure enough, the first pig, it didn't, something didn't happen, but the next one, it was like time froze, stood still, and he told me to shoot the pig in the head, and I did. <laughs> and I couldn't believe the results. It immediately brought me back to my daughter being born, um, dreaming, and um, something I've never experienced before, for sure. And uh, the idea of death, obviously. There was an animal dying right in front of my eyes. I mean, the pig was... It was dying. It was squealing and dying, but really, he was very proud of me because I was I was shocked. I was like, "Man, is this pig okay? Like, we gotta shoot it again?" He's like, "No, no." I was like, "This is you got it. It's done." And sure enough, it was done. And then to bring that pig back to this deer camp with all these guys that have been doing this for thirty years that had a bunch of bucks hanging up in the trees. And uh, with their like little kids that just shot it, <laughs> and I'm like the newbie, like obviously just yeah you know, here on my initiation. And at first they were kind of you know poking at me and making fun, like you want to hunt bird? you got a pig honk, you know like is that someone's pet? <laughs> but then one of the guys took me out and helped me gut it, and he saw it. everyone was shocked of how what this how did I get this pig? It was like the biggest cleanest like best pig. They were wanting the meat. They were like, man, I got to go get a pig tomorrow. Everyone was like inspired. And I'm just still just in this sh- state of awe and shock and borderline trauma. Like that night was a pretty traumatic night for me. Um, and the next morning, same thing. I had this all of a sudden. Uh, there was a few opportunities of deer that were like lesser genetics that he told me he would be happy for me to kill. But it didn't feel right until there was this doe. And he's like, well, that's the best meat you can get right there. 200 yards away and he told me to shoot it in the lungs and I was like you want me to sh-? I couldn't even believe that's what he was asking me to do because it just didn't seem like I could do it for whatever reason and then I just got focused and I did it and I shot it in the lung and man so two shots and two deaths yeah and in, in about 12 hours in two different species and had you previously done that ever <laughs> no. wow the only thing i've ever done like that i remembered it because of this experience was when i was much younger my uncle who is the hunter in my family who i probably no offense um but i just he kind of turned me off from being into that world but one day he had us shoot guns and sure enough my two younger brothers shot a can before me, they both shot a can, and it was my turn, and they got they hit it, and I was like, okay, I got to make sure I hit this can, but all of a sudden, two birds flew up, like on the tree limb, way above the can, and my, I remember my uncle, he was like, shoot the damn thing, <laughs> that's what he said, he said, shoot the damn thing, and I did, did it, and I, uh, I think, I don't know if it was because of a shotgun or what, but I, both birds went, I killed two birds with one shot there, somehow. And then that was my only other experience of purposefully killing an animal. But that was a totally different vibration than this experience in Texas. So that's my first time hunt, and that's pretty much it. I went hunting for uh, pigs in Hawaii. We did, that was another story, not nearly as impactful, more like adventurous. But that first one, yeah, I can relate. And I bet a lot of people can relate or they're probably like mystified and maybe wanting, maybe desiring their, their experience of that.
It's so personal. I think that's the part that I enjoy the most is for all the guided hunts that I've done, which is probably thousands in multiple countries. I, the company that I had for 15 years took a lot of people hunting. And I think that that's probably what I have the utmost respect for is everything is so personal. It's at a level that most men don't know how to articulate where it gets to them at. And so it, it's just very, it's very quiet because trying to come up with the words for something that is that magnificent will provide for family and home and fellowship and connection around the table that just fell be, because of you. It just gave its life and its life source and its sustenance to you. And in a way, you, it gave it to you because you took it. And so celebrating that um, and solemnly integrating that experience, uh, everybody goes through a different process. Uh, I've watched it for years, and it's been something that I've felt responsible to help be there for. Even if, uh, you know, years ago, we never used language like this. I never even knew to be this open about what my experience was and the depth of my experience and why I had such an emotional connection to what was taking place. We were never, I don't know, I, I was never free to even maybe understand myself well enough to know what was happening and why I was so deeply moved and then why some others, some other men and women uh, a lot that would hunt would just completely break down in emotion um, that when we would try to talk about it, or I, I ran a camera a lot and we had a production team and I tried to, to shoot a lot of it, when it would come time to actually describe what in words was happening in those moments of emotion, it, it would turn to something divine. Um, no one could really make it be something that made sense other than the language of something like, thank you, Lord. Um, the humbling and the depth of it, I, I think, I don't know because I've not had my own children, but I would guess that there are various depths of experiences that a man and a woman could experience. Giving, being a creator and giving life must be um, maybe the, the most fundamentally magical thing that there is. And then for that same masculine, primal, biological human being then to love something uh, as a child say and then also be that same man that takes life and loves life and then r the recognition and self-recognition that without this animal I do not know how to give myself sustenance and then to uh, to not be oblivious to the depth of that and to really let the complexity of those questions sit there for a second, I guess that has been, that maybe be, that it has been my single greatest teacher. Um, and I, I think I probably appreciate that more about those moments for men and women. The, the place where we get to and we try to describe it when we get there, but we've spent our whole life trying to get to that place that we don't know what to say about. And then we get there and then there's this sensation that, I don't know, man. I only know to be there for it. Be there for the entire thing.
over and over. Well, one thing, you're mentioning men and women, and one of the most fascinating things about this is one of the people that just went went through our emotional resilience training course, I just launched a course online that I think is epic. So if you haven't checked that out, check it out. The first 150 people get $150 off of Tribe Design, and there's a money-back guarantee if you ain't 100% satisfied because it's deep. It's kind of like the golden thread of what I've experienced through running these retreats for the last decade. And long story short, Divine Alyssa, girl, lady, woman, shaman of sorts from my understanding, they went through the course. She's the person that I've been talking to that has been an affirmation to this experience. And one of my friends that I talked to before this, he was like, he was kind of like, oh man, that sounds like an awesome like men's only experience. And... And you mentioned men and women most a lot, and I'm like, man, that's an interesting topic about what do you, what are your beliefs, thoughts, ideas around women hunting versus men? Well, they ha- it has to be natural to them. They're you know it's got it's got a call to everybody. So being a woman and and it not feeling right is kind of a clue. Like you know, be honest about where the feelings come from, but also just trust that because there are many women that are designed to be nurturers. Um, But I've met uh, honest huntresses that it's in their DNA thick. They love it and it drives them and there's a passion there and there's a teacher there. And uh, man, what do I think? I, I think that whatever... If hunting calls to somebody and it it really does resonate, um, it doesn't matter who you are. The the the, the, the female nature is often so coachable in the outdoors and so teachable that they they're open to listening. And some of the the funnest times that I've had is by actually watching the aha moment from someone who's willing to listen. And for the most part in my industry, everybody already knows how to hunt. (laughs) So I don't, I mostly just take people out there and let them do their thing. But you're reminding me like Araya, she sees squirrels and rabbits and like she wants, there's something there, but she's never, she's never killed an animal. But I'm, I've been tempted many times to like, go ahead, go ahead, do it. But I've been, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I, because I'm domestic. I'm not rewilding Araya. I am domesticating her. Um, that's a confession, because I, I like to rewild humans if I can, including myself. But uh, Araya, with our relationship, I, she's a bit domesticated, but I have thought, like, what you were just reminding me of is, like, if I did give her the go ahead and she went for it. Man, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. You got to work that out. I've seen little ones uh, harvest an animal, and they they really don't know what they're about to experience. It's it's for the most part overwhelming, is the best way to describe it. And then the dialogues that would come up for the next ten years, in an open line of communication, those could be amazing. Um. All right. So, th- yeah, that's. I'm happy to hear that about the huntress. Something about when you said the huntress, I was like, oh, oh that's. Man. I I don't know if I've hung around any huntresses. I think that's like actually. the definition of sexy. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> it it's a very primal. It's very visceral. That's very earthen. 
It's very down to earth. It's very grounded. It's very powerful, very steady. Um, yeah. Some other ideas are coming up in this. My uh, One of my experiences of hunting is actually surfing and watching dolphins hunt around me. Mm -hmm. And also being a vegan at one point in my life. Being surrounded by a very... What is a vegan? Oh, so at that point, I was pretty much only consuming raw fruits, vegetables, seeds, or nuts. Okay. For about seven months straight. And the motivation behind that? Whew, great question. Okay. Probably first is a health experiment that seemed to be going very well okay. at first and very exciting and almost like a a path, like a like a self betterment path. Yeah, it was almost like that. A feeling of like finding a religion or something. Oh nice. Oh, <laughs> is that why I've heard them be so passionate at times, the this perspective of maybe not eating meat? Okay, so yeah, it, that inevitably led to us doing a YouTube channel of us exploring oh. this idea out loud called the Rob Raz. So then we became like celebrities nice. because of this Okay. and got very affirmed. So then it became quite confusing Humans. because my youngest brother, he all of a sudden was like excelling at swimming at an alarming rate to like college coaches and Olympians. Oh, so it was translating. You were getting results. Well, in the beginning, but then he was like, he because he was going for what he was going for. He he was the first one to speak up, and that was about like we were exploring it with it on and off for a couple of years, and like solid, like dogmatic, one hundred percent for about seven months. And then he ate an egg, and um, <laughs> he ate an egg. <laughs> he ate an egg. <laughs> And we express like we like well you know at the same time our core value always I think has been truth, so it's like man well we gotta freaking tell everyone you know you're gonna you're gonna eat eggs bro <laughs> like we gotta tell people you're eating eggs now, and so, um and the response was so absurd like we got so much backlash that I immediately became repulsed by associating with the raw vegan diet because there was like mothers twice the age of my youngest brother like saying things that were so, in my judgment, immature and mean. I was like, I got to get out of it. What did I get myself into? So then I got my testosterone tested and it was like below 100. It was like ra it was extremely rare. So I ate a piece of salmon the next night and then that night that, that got my results and I uh, remembered what, testosterone felt like I think mm -hmm. is what happened um and uh so I yeah 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 the, what it was like was it was a slippery slope what I would say it was like it was a, a slippery seductive slope where someone could potentially cleanse their health away yeah the raw veganism okay. I, we, there was a whole movement of 30 bananas a day and we were we were we were nuts. Like if anyone look if anyone <laughs> is not we were eating thirty bananas a day at one point, and uh, it just got so seductive because we were getting so affirmed from it uh, by it from this subculture. Oh right, okay, I understand. Yeah, um, but then our blood levels just couldn't lie. And yeah, then, science has a way. <laughs> yeah. There's objective truths that catch up to it. But then again, you know, I was just invited recently to a party where they were showing this documentary. Um, I think it was called. Shoot, it's from Steven Spielberg. It's a great. It seems like a great film. Oh, uh, Game Changers. Game Changers. Oh, I saw that. You saw that? Yeah, I didn't watch it. I just saw that. Oh, okay, so I saw a lot of it. 
Okay. Uh, in, a, in a distracting atmosphere, but the movie looks so well done. And from my understanding, there's a bit of I, I kind of got a little like, ah, oh, great movie, but I also am getting rubbed the wrong way because there felt like there was a vegan propaganda that like <sighs> being vegan is the best thing to do for everybody, for everyone. That's kind of the image I was oh, getting from wow. the film. And so I guess I would like to discuss that with you. Hey, all right, down, down, you killer, or soon, maybe one day soon to be. Okay. Um, well, wow. I just think everyone should eat what their what works for their body, right? Like, there's lots of science out on blood types and pH types and alkalinity. There's fads. The fads seem to come and go, but what works is what gives vitality, what gives life, what gives you strength. Like that when when you lose the testosterone drive. And then it comes rushing back in. Oh, that's, rushing. That's like next, I, so I went to a, a raw vegan fruit festival, and I told the story about how when I ate a piece of salmon, I woke up with morning wood for the first time in a very long time. What does this mean to y'all? Yeah. And that that shook. I don't think I never got invited to that festival again. Let me tell you that. That's it. Right. And then you've got. So then one thing that that that's interesting to me, and I guess maybe something that I pay attention to. And I'm learning to be sensitive. I think that's one of the things about hunting that I really appreciate is that there's no way to hunt absent of senses. So it is the activation and the awake state of all of your senses. It wakes up that experience. So one thing I really like is pursuing animals aware of what they'll wake up in me, right? So as so say you're fishing on you're on in Alaska and you're catching salmon and then you talk you're talking about something that's swimming upstream and has the energy of giving its life so that it can its species can live and you're putting that fuel in your body that's going to wake your body up right that's going to be a force and then we're saying from a cultural standpoint or maybe a, an emotional perspective that uh, animals shouldn't suffer or shouldn't die, so then we should just eat like birds. <laughs> what is the? Oh, okay. So fruit as a so as a fruitarian, that's a pretty good ideal. Check this out. So oh. as a fruitarian, you basically are just eating the flesh of the ovaries that are just given freely from a living being. Oh, that's the abundance. So that's all you're eating. You're only taking as a fruitarian. That's like that's getting okay. close to breatharianism. Yeah, and and all of those things are possible, and I think all of those things are inspiring, and all of those things, <laughs> if they're practical, great. If they work, great. Well, if you know what's not great though is if someone that's writing about them, like imagine if I had my seven month experience and I wrote a book about that, like as this is the holy grail. And then this the author, the yeah, then the author of that book was like, "Oh my gosh, like I just got my testosterone dosed." <laughs> but this book is already in print, <laughs> and all these other people that were following it for years, much longer than the author did himself. Yeah. So like the Rob Ross all of a sudden became this thing about like, "Whoa, this is no raw food. This is not only raw food. This is like about the raw truth." Yeah. And it seems like you're willing to express that. And as uh, someone, as a hunter, like I've met a lot of hunters in my past that they didn't, for whatever reason, they it, that 
this kind of conversation, I imagine, wouldn't resonate. Yeah, well, I think we're both having similar experiences. I don't know how much of this I would say <laughs> in a lot of different circles. I mean, I've, I'm learning to become more and more comfortable about what I think, but I also pick my audiences. I don't, uh, you know, the, you're saying, like, it's, it's normal for everywhere. I, where I come from, everyone eats meat. And you've actually had a sense of normal where people don't. Not only a sense of normal, but a sense of like celebrity ness. Like celebrity. Like, like, yeah, celebrity. Like, this is better yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. Like by many people. <laughs> That's amazing. And then agreement is so powerful. Like you can ride that wave, man. Yeah, oh yeah, we were riding that yes. wave, man. Uploading every Rob Ross video got a hit of something that was comparable to testosterone. Well, it's just energy <laughs> is energy, right? You're still feeding off of some, but it's got to align, right? It's got to. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's what happened. When stop. Yeah. Anyways, if I ever probably ate a vegan diet again or any kind of diet that could be like labeled as a process, this isn't good. This is another whole conversation. Like, my opinion, like diets are very much like religions, in a way, because they're all like pointing to an idea of connecting in the best way possible. But if someone take mistakens the menu for the meal, like the literal, like this is the, I, yeah, it's a big topic. That this is the only way for everybody. That can become a slippery slope in any field, whether it's science or religion, because we're all our own universes. That's what I call Breaking Normal University, Y O University. Like I spelled it with a Y O, nice. for a reason. And uh, I am all, I am continuously stoked to be in the presence of someone that's willing to explore their own experience out loud because that almost feels like my joy of being for being here. Well, I would like to say you're really good at it. I, I'm learning to be open about the experience of being human um, now. This is kind of new territory for me. I used to talk a lot um, before 2012. We we did a lot of uh, videos and we ca I captured every hunt and I would talk about it from a, a you know a basic predator prey perspective and I would share some of the process and the experience um, but it was mostly ego driven in a way of uh, marketing and exposure and so I would talk from a way in which I wanted people to continue to come. And experience the outdoors with me because I like that lifestyle for myself. But to really be open about what hunting has become for me and how I really feel about it and, and to share candidly, um, man, I'm, I'm a noob right there. So I appreciate the way that you can draw out uh, fairly deep parts of my experience and my psyche. Um, by being a good listener, by invoking that dialogue. So I appreciate it too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way to describe a lot of what my focus has been on for a long time. For myself too. Um, and I do think that beings that are the closest to the source in a way, whether they're just born or transitioning, mm reveal a whole lot. I think I was listening to Osho. Are you familiar with Osho at all? Well, 
you you mentioned a little I bit did. about him. Yeah, we talked about this. Why is it when I'm with you, you I think about show that's twice in a row. Yeah. Uh, but he was talking about this like huge hit of energy it is to be in the presence of someone dying. Yeah. And I think that could be related to DMT. It could be related to all kinds of things. Mystery, man. But it's it's obviously trackable, and it's obviously a huge experience. And um, I guess at this point, I'm thinking, like, if someone is, how how would you guess if someone is ready for the experience that you're imagining that we're going to have? Yeah, wow, we need to really get this nailed down, what we're actually going to, what our intention is, and what we're going to create, what the actual practical uh, experiences are going to be from gun safety to education to relationship to a weapon, forming that relationship to a weapon. Uh, to the proper way to, to take a life, to understand anatomy, to understand the respiratory system, the central nervous system, where it's placed in an antelope, where it's placed in deer species. Uh, I think that those dialogues and just the presencing of that process and the specificity of that and the honor, the reverence and the respect that must take place with uh, every increment of that experience to be done in the... Um, with the utmost attention to one the size of the unknown and the respect that a lot of these people they may be stepping into a world that is completely unknown to them we need to nail this all down what what are we going to do and then we're going to take people one by one out into the woods and ask them if they're ready to take a life is that what's happening <laughs> Well, the one-by-one one part, I'm not sure if that's how it's logistically going to go or we're going to break off into groups or that. I'll be curious about that part. But my intention um, for this experience is not only for it to be the next international tribe design. Oh, wow. You're going to do it as a tribe design. Which is international tribe design, just so you know some of the ethos that's previously been implanted in that entity slash experience of international tribe design is um, it's an experience where people come together to design the strongest tribe as fast as possible um, at the best place in the world at the best time to be there. And it's also the modalities that we use to connect these leaders beyond agreement into a space of heart sync instead of group think have typically been music, movement, mystery, and memetics. Okay. Memetics being the genetics of culture. So memetics would be okay. the stories that we're telling <laughs> around ask. the fire. And and a tribe, speaking of a, a fire, around a fire, a tribe to me is a group of people standing around a light telling more story, telling stories to each other to be less afraid of what's in the dark. That's one of the, the best definitions of a tribe that I've resonated with. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's to, so you understand what you are basically signing up to be one of the facilitators because we've invited facilitators over the years like the, if there's a modality or an experience that you can take this group of people through that would connect them in the best way possible that's what in the best way possible then we're inviting that in and we've only done hunting experiences pre-tribe designs before but this one Based on everything is happening everywhere and me just tuning into what's most aligned, 
This will be a smaller group. Um, it's sounding like anywhere between like 11 and 20 based on some details of non-hunters hunters versus hunters. Mm-hmm. And for us to uh, connect over this experience. Yeah, this is really working quickly too. We've only known each other for about two weeks and every single thing that we talk about works and happens quickly <laughs> and synchronistically. Especially because you just said that. And I think And believe it. Yeah. And I have had this idea in my head since 2012. Like this is the sh- the shift that I went through when I I couldn't even really move forward uh, with the company that I had in integrity and I I sold it. I've had this uh, I guess construct uh, in my awareness now for years and years. And so your this quick interaction is making something that has kind of been a dream of mine possible in very rapid fashion so i the to take someone who's willing to go deeper into the understanding of what it is to be human and that that is the intention and focal point with a weapon in the hand and to to really be honest about the question is it aligned for me to take a life and willing to go to that place and ask that question with the crosshairs on the beating heart of something that you may sit down and eat and willing to address the mortality with uh, the awareness of, of growth, man, I can't even believe that's, we're really talking about that. That's amazing. <laughs> I have, I've taken so many people hunting and, and quietly I, I clear whatever is, is left after the, the five, six days. But there's this just longing in me for, for that the interaction to just go to that next place and that we're talking about it now and that it that one of my longtime clients and friends has synchronistically wanted to remove 10 to 15 animals out of his ranch because of overpopulation so we're we're almost like fruitarians there we're like taking the abundance, like what the, what's just naturally falling off of the what ranch. What the fruit? <laughs> Actually, my daughter was conceived after gorging on a plum tree in Portland, on a can in a sound studio on a cannabis farm. Okay. But I remember that. I remember that abundance and what that abundance potentially catalyzed or not. But I was definitely feeling those plums. I'm talking about like endless sugar juice balls. And it sounds like there is like the other the other side of the coin of that with this. Like you're telling me, there's this opportunity in Austin, Texas, in April, which is the best. This is the best time. So this is the best time to be in this area, in my opinion. Those the dates that we're talking about, be, and not only seasonally because of how the Earth works historically, historically, but because culturally and what's going on in Austin during this time. Um, so yeah, this is all, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I'm just, I'm admitting it out loud. Every tribe design has been on this vibration of like, what, what, wait, 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 what, what? Okay, let's do it. So do you know what type of hunter might be coming? All right. So far it's a, a lady, a, a, a woman, a mother from North Dakota that is and has become a shaman of sorts 
and she grew up in the ranching industry, but she has never taken the life of an animal. She's been around it all her whole life, and she completely resonates with it, and this seems like to be the tribe design for her. And then there's another guy that hit me up that seems very aligned, and... <laughs> Um, just so everyone knows, especially being in Boulder, like there's not many black people, but he's basically a gay black guy from New York City that doesn't think he can do it, but he feels extremely drawn to it. Wow, that takes courage, man. He was, if anyone's ever read Breaking Normal, the the very intro, like the prelude, is about us getting pulled over in Yellowstone National Park, and okay. we were driving a white van. It was late at night. And this cop starts interrogating the heavens out of us, like just like it's like, is this a joke? And the very and he starts, so we we have like a fast a van full of fifteen or sixteen people or something like close to that. And the very first person the cop pulls out of the car is like the one black guy that we have, and people flipped out. <laughs> He flipped out. He was like, it was just like, is this real? And, but, you this know. is the guy that's thinking about Yeah, yeah, wants to come. Yeah, he also hit me up about it. There's been several people, but those are just a couple of the demographics that have kind of been like, whoa, this is breaking. Normal. How would people know that they would be a good fit? <sighs> for me, I, I knew, for me, I knew when I, I, I knew enough to speak it out loud that like, this is my intention. I want to go out because, because my daughter wants to now eat the flesh of another animal. Did she just say that to you? Like she's had meat and she thinks she wants meat. She yeah. loves it's meat. It's on the plate. Yeah, that's yeah. What's she consumed. like that seems yeah, like she's knows. stoked on the meat. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh my gosh, she like wants meat. I'm like, What's the best meat? I'm like, I'm here in Texas. Probably wild animals that are wild, basically. Basically wild animals. <laughs> so then I had that into, it just was it hit me like a hammer. I'm like, Oh, this is my turn time to learn how to hunt. That's how it happened for me. Yeah, the responsibilities for a little person who's maybe a little bit would she be a normal? Uh, I don't know what normal means. I guess so is she is she a on a slice of the pie for the, her age group? Are most girls say her friends are they eating meat? I think so. Yeah, I think I think yeah. She seems to love meat when it's on the table, and especially she loved the meat that I got back. And I um. What did, what did you shoot? You said deer, but you didn't a pig and a deer. Oh. What there's a lot of deer, but oh man, that's I think it was a whitetail. Whitetail doe, yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah, hundred and twenty. I think it was about two hundred yards away, from my understanding. What weapon did you use? Some sort of rifle with a scope on it. Do you know what caliber? Nope. I don't know for sure, but Clay is probably gonna message me and be like, "It was a scalper." <laughs> did you use shooting sticks? What did you use for a rest? How did you steady yourself? Oh, we are okay. I'm happy you're asking these questions. I feel like I'm on your podcast now. Thank you. <laughs> I like being on people's podcasts. I've been on some podcasts recently. A lot of Australian women. All of a sudden, I got like a wave of Australian women that were hitting me up to be on their podcast. But thank you for inviting me to yours. Well, I just have a lot of questions. Uh, no, yeah, I'm, no, please I hope ask. So. Okay. Yeah, ask away because I. The more you ask about this, the more I'll learn about it. Okay. So we were basically set up. In like a sta- like a cabin where he had a deer feeder, and he wanted me to kill this deer of inferior genetics. Okay. And what time of year? Oh, right around the, the second day of opening day of deer hunting season in Texas. The next day. Okay. So is that fall? I think well, yeah, yeah, it was like like late fall. I yeah. think I believe. <laughs> 
and so that setup? didn't happen. Like I didn't shoot. There was a few things that happened. Like there was a noise that was made, and the deer ran away. And he's like, "It'll come back." And I was like, uh, "I don't know." And I was like, "I want to get the best meat." I'm not like I understand that you have a, another belief. But I want to get the best meat. And then all of a sudden, when I said that, he's like, "There's a doe." He's like, "That's the best meat you'll get." Yeah. And sounds like you knew. He, uh, we had a, cr- we had to leave where we were at and crawl across a field. It was a pretty gnarly situation. We had to crawl across the field, like army crawl. And I had my, pink- I think I had my gun on a barbed wire fence, actually. Nice. Just sitting, we found a place to rest the gun, okay. which is a barbed wire fence. How far did you crawl? Uh, probably about 30 yards. If I had to guess, like, like low, he's like, shh. Like, sh- like, seriously, he kept shushing me. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm being quiet, bro. Yeah. Relative, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then that happened, and yeah, and he, he told me when he told me that's like shoot that I was like wow, I, I just felt a little like like unsteady, crazy. But then there was a moment of alignment, and then I took the shot. Okay, cr- alignment meaning that it you, just seemed like I'm gonna miss it. Like, am I, how okay, can so I hit this in the lungs of all points? Yeah, I was like shaking. Around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How's the adrenaline level? Oh, by the time, like, that's what happened. I think, like, I was a little shocked at first. I'm like, you want me to shoot that deer? And then about after, like, 20 seconds, it was like, that deer is still close to my crosshairs. And then there was, like, a moment of silence, a moment of stillness. And then I took the shot. Okay. So did you get a sense that that it was time for that doe to be done? Yeah. Yeah. And then was there stillness? Was there adrenaline after you shot as much yeah, as, yeah, as you were preparing? No, not as much. Not as okay. much. Because okay. he I, – I might be picking up on him, but I was like – I thought the deer just ran away because there was a couple deer around. Okay. So and you the, didn't know if you hit yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't know if I hit it. Okay. And he, he seemed so relaxed, and I was like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? No. He's like, you got it. Nice. And then when you when you hear that, you got it. What's the what's the sensation? Oh, what's the okay? Yeah. There's some success Great question. there. Great question. It once again, I'm thinking of like when my when I was asking my midwife questions about the birth. Like, what do we need? It is it good? Is it good? Like, is this supposed to happen? Because it's brand new. Yeah, it's brand new, and I guess one's being birthed and one's dying. Yeah. So you plug yourself in right there. You touch the trigger. The gun jumps in your hands. The gun goes off. And you hear the report, bang. It's loud. It's Your ears are ringing a little bit. <laughs> no, little, I don't remember that part. No? I, I, I think I was too high on adrenaline at that you, point. Now you're pumped. Okay, yeah. So now <laughs> yeah. you're rocking. And the, the deer, do you see the deer run off? No, I saw other deer run off. Okay, did your deer go right down? Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, it went down. So central nervous system not touched but you shot it right behind the shoulder I, in the respiratory system in the lung I oh, I remember when we got to the deer there was like bubbles coming out of the body pink blood and he he's like oh that's the lung you hit in the lungs that's why the air bubbles are coming out well done that's very clean very ethical very short quick death so you did good and you walk up to it and you, as you're getting closer you're starting to realize that, that is a dead animal right there that is a dead white-tailed deer doe mm-hmm. that I just took the life of and oh yeah and then I remember it I thought it had some milk it was lactating but there was no babies inside of it in well yeah okay is that 
well, there was the, a milk during sack. During the fall is when they are bred. During the what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> the ru- the breeding season for deer is in the fall. So yeah, then they gestate and then. But not if they don't have babies, there they can still gestate. Well, if they're pregnant. But now I'm thinking like I don't think I've ever seen did any you babies. St- meaning sh- um, did you think that she had a late fawn on her? You would have seen the fawn. They would they would have been together. Yeah. Likely. Oh yeah. Did you see the, smaller deer. That is all of a sudden I'm like remembering details. No, I don't know, but that might have been. Because if if she has milk, then she could have a late fawn, and you could have just separated mother. Yeah. And up and comer. <laughs> yeah, meaning that if that there was milk fa- there, so people don't even know the fawn, but meaning that there was a baby deer. Well, she had. You saw milk. I think, yeah, there is milk. There is milk. Yeah, so she's lactating. So she has a fawn. And now that fawn does not have that <laughs> food source. But you do. Yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of humans, that brings some things up that you just divided. Yeah, I think I never reflected on this until you I, – like I forgot about the milk. I think, I think my friend was not – it was probably already so overwhelming for me. I don't think he was trying to make it amplify the experience. But I never like wow. registered that like, wow, there was probably a baby deer with that deer that I killed. Yeah. It, otherwise, she would have been dry and there would have been no milk. Yeah, there was some milk in there, yep. Yeah, so her bag was a little bit full and maybe leaked a little bit while she's laying on the ground. No, I think I remember it skinning it and there was milk in the oh yeah so she was she was active enough and you couldn't tell and i don't know what time of year it is exactly that you're talking about but was very likely she was not yet bred was it january when you say bred what do you mean not not likely not bred well in the when they rud in the fall Mm -hmm. when the females are open she can still carry a fawn and she can still be bred for the following season. You mean, <laughs> you mean like fertilized, like has, like a male had sex with her and that she's pregnant? Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Was she possibly pregnant? Not likely, because she had a fawn. But I I don't know exactly the time of year that you're talking. Yeah, about. I'll have to reflect on that. I think it was in November. Yeah, so she probably wasn't bred, and Texas is kind of. The, the white-tailed does will rut pretty late, clear into January. When I go to Mexico and hunt Sonora, the deer down there aren't rutting until even clear into February sometimes. So they're very late. So, yeah, she she probably had a fairly f- well-developed fawn that was still lactating, and you just sped the process up. So then what what I like is that investigation. That's interesting. Now we're, now we're talking about something that's that's very... Uh, the psyche can get very involved right there. As far as now, um, if we're go- if we are going to have a conversation, if the intention behind all of this investigation is to heal our species, then that is a tremendous access. If we feel that we have have added trauma, obviously there's an opportunity there to investigate our own. And I think that that relationship to harvesting the animal is one of the greatest teachers of. Of relationship to trauma suffering if you will yeah for sure that's i think that's why i mentioned the dolphins something about when i see the dolphins hunt it seems right okay and, and 
whereas that might have been a shocking to me on my nervous system as it has been, I also get to remember I was like cultured in so many different ways for many years leading up to that experience. That I um and cultured specifically in a way of like at one point believing raw veganism was a way of enlightenment. Did you, and then is that, okay. And I, the, the dolphin <laughs> metaphor and that experience, not not only the dolphin one, but also seeing that Araya wants to kill a rabbit and the, or she wants to kill a squirrel or seeing that I've done that and the results of that. Like the, I had so many rewards from that. I got to bring so much meat to people that seemed so pleased that it seemed like, man, there's so many affirmations behind this. But there was like the, there was a trauma, a traumatic experience, a traumatic initiation of killing an animal, much less a mother of yeah. another deer. Right. Yeah, that may be why um, as a steward, I don't know your guide, but it sounds like he was tuned in. Um, he may have wanted you to take a buck because he knew that he was not impacting the overall herd health. So he he may have been saying, "Here's a." I'm guessing if oh, he yeah, says lesser yeah. genetics, it's, yeah, it's a, it was a buck. eight point mainframe, or maybe it's a no, six point. No, it was like a. It was just like a messed. It seemed a little like a <laughs> broken antler. Of oh, sorts. okay, okay, but possibly a, a three year old or something like that. That makes sense. It's never going to be a contributing member to the farm it's not going to bring the farm opportunity he recognized that possibly as an opportunity for you to have your first harvest and then you made a request you inserted your point of view into i actually just want the best meat and he made it might have known that buck might have known the age of the buck might have known something about it that was like okay that's actually not the best meat there's something about this situation. Every, everything is so specific out there. I'd have to be there. But then he said, then he honors your request, which is then you asking for what you want and then getting something that now you get to investigate, which I think is, I think that's exciting. That, that gets right down to the, the heart of it. I was cultured that, I, if I was cultured at all, I don't know. I grew up in the a little mountain town in northwest Colorado, and everybody hunted. Nobody didn't hunt. I just happened to be completely in awe of it. It consumed my every, consumed my dreams, my relationship to life. Um, and so you have you're actually stepping out of your comfort zone by addressing this. And I'm kind of stepping out of my comfort zone by saying, I feel everything out there. You know, I don't, I don't have a high five, like, look what we did moment much anymore. I have a, where do I fit in this ecosystem? Where do I belong? And am I aligned? And is this good for the parts and the sum of the whole? And feeling responsible there. That's maybe the first time I've said that out loud, you know. So I, I'm also getting yanked out of my comfort zone we're hunting in the world of the outdoors please take me there there'll just be me and the animals and i'll have one guy and he'll be tagging along behind me and we'll figure it out but to to introduce this culturally to share openly about the the experience to open oneself up to 
the banter and the opinions of <laughs> of all of us. And then to you, for you to do it as openly as you do it, that's amazing to me. I'm baffled. <laughs> <laughs> well, we um, I haven't. I think I told you this. I I've uh, like I told you I had a lot of crazy conversations recently, which is pretty on brand to my life, but. I don't know if I told you or someone else, but one of the things that we did at our retreats was we did harvest a animal in Nicaragua in front of the group. Did I tell you that? You did, yeah. Yeah, okay, that was probably our previous conversation. You bled it? Yes, yeah, so my brother, my youngest brother killed it real quickly with a knife to its brain, and then I cut its throat and bled it. Oh, okay. So it was like, it was like a re- and we prayed over it, but it was just so adrenaline rushed. I remember how you were saying that it was probably ideal for the everything to make it as quick and easy as possible. But for this scenario, it was pretty, it was, must've been important because some people were so impacted by seeing that. I remember one guy was like, I don't know what everything we're doing here, but that was worth more than anything I could have put into this. And And then other people didn't watch it. Other people didn't watch it and they were offended. It was the craziest. But for you to just take that on and open yourself up to a platform where people are just going to get offended, like that's (laughs) good on you, man. Yeah, I, I I mean, I'm, I, if someone, when someone offends me, I'm usually curious. It's so much. There's so much to look at. Or, whoa, (laughs) well done getting offended. Actually, uh, JP, so speaking of tribe designs and like new breaking normal experiences, my friend JP, who's the first interview on this podcast and wrote the foreword to breaking normal, <laughs> from my understanding, he did his first comedy show at our tribe, our first tribe design. Nice. And it went How really, long have you been doing tribe design? I guess since 2000, it's, it's, this will be like the fifth year. So Oahu was the fifth new year's evolution fest so it's 22 so i guess since 2015 and then you and would you say that from the insertion to now it was exact it was it's on track it's it's, it's on its thing it's like, i feel like it's it. like it's like nice. a child of sorts i feel like oh it wants to do this now okay attuning to that and supporting it but it seems so far seasonal that's what we've been one thing that's stayed consistent and this okay. oh actually our last one we did in the spring our spring breakthrough version was in Austin, an hour north of Austin. I don't know the exact dates, but it might be pretty close to this one. Okay. I I think Austin's one of the greatest cities in the world that it's peaking and it's season. If you look at like cities having seasons, I think it like Austin's peaking right now. And uh is I think it really peaks in the spring. So I think this is uh as on brand to tribe design as well, this whole experience that we're exploring. And what to take people and to introduce this opportunity, what is what you're saying is possible? What like if best case scenario exists, what do you want to what do what do you hope people can walk away from this experience with? Yeah, so not only feeling equipped with the tools of a tribe designer, and that means like the ability, like, oh, I know how to walk into almost anywhere in the world and connect this group of people into like a state of heart sync instead of group think. So like this group can disagree with each other, but we're going to be cohesive. We're going to be dancing and celebrating a frequency of love beyond agreement. That's That's the tribe design tool they'll leave with. The now the other one that we're now introducing with this experience, I 
would trust people would feel inspired to refine the knowingness that they know how to go out in the wild and get food and what that means. Wow. That's super exciting to me. I I would the opportunity to train people to become hunters and to actually provide for themselves and to give them the tools that say their circumstances or environment and their youth didn't provide for them and to rebalance and recalibrate relationship from city areas to nature and to plug people and give that as a platform and opportunity. Yeah, count me in on that. That's super exciting. (laughs) And uh, briefly to wrap it up, because we're hitting the 111 mark here pretty soon, which is usually the creative constraint, but we also break normal around here. The um for me food wise like you know I've I've explored so many different dietary dogmas or food paths or whatever system of the day it is hey 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 you go over here down down just chill just chill I gotta play with my other you one. like expansion and your curiosity drives you yeah so they, you you you've seen you've uh, experienced a lot and if someone's gonna eat meat okay. I really believe that procuring your own wild meat is arguably the best way to do it. Easy argument. It's an easy argument. Easy argument. I just want to remind people of that because there's so many diet fads going on, like the carnivore diet's catching a lot of of friction right now, uh, which I think is pretty much an all-meat diet of sorts. But are you going to eat a domesticated, genetically modified, like, bread farm animal? Because if you are what you eat, is that what you're going to be consuming the most of? Or can we... Figure out how to, if we do want to eat meat, whoever you are, including myself, what's the best meat for me? And I do think getting it in my own hands is is the way. Yeah, if, if you're convicted about that and you're doing something else, like go to the grocery store, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to work even. Because there's an, an asking to expand into self-responsibility there. I th- yeah, I don't even know what I would do or what the community that I grew up in, if they didn't hunt, I don't know. There wouldn't be enough food, period. There just wouldn't be enough food. It's not a matter of beliefs or ideas or constructs or enlightenment. It's called we're human. we got to eat stuff. And if we don't hunt as a community, we don't survive, period. The, the rest of the way in which the cultures and subcultures have begun, do people just have a lot of time? Well, oh, I yeah, I think we have all the time we want. Is my truth, my like deepest belief. Nice. Well, yeah, yeah but that that gets that gets okay, that's talking not culturally at all there. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a lot of uh, a, a lot of thought regarding what it takes to be the best optimal self, and that's a that's a very comfortable environment that people must live in to really say I have the time to figure out what food put I put in my body that leads towards enlightenment that's a tremendous privilege where I come from people just need to go get food because <laughs> the winters are long and it's cold uh, yeah well I think you know that to, to me probably reminds me of what I imagine the reality of most of my ancestors to be yeah. And, you know, I'm around a group of people that love to connect with their ancestors, it seems, in healing ways. And I don't, this is the most I've ever felt. That hunt in Texas that I was telling you about, that's the most I've ever felt that way. So 
And then you've got the fire element and access to the ancestors through the fire and then access to the ancestors through the primal DNA. And there's also all kinds of religions that are suggesting that there's a whole lot else going on out there too. When someone takes a life, who are they killing? Really? There's a, a yeah, lot you of mentioned something there. like briefly. Let's just let's just sprinkle a little a little curiosity in here. But I think I remember you telling me something about the idea that maybe you felt it or that this idea that you're alluding to, that someone could take the life of another animal to free a part of its its own consciousness. I think sometimes I get carried away because I get excited, but I have definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know if I want to talk about that entirely, but. I don't think we're separate. I think we're all connected. Uh, either we're connected or I know nothing. That's kind of how I... Wh what the connection is and how linked we really are and how deep this goes, I don't know. But it looks like it goes for a really long way to me. And then un investigating that and getting to be in a physical human body and explore relationship. My f most favorite relationship in the animal kingdom is to the mule deer, the North American mule deer, not even the Sonoran mule deer, although it's still fascinating, or the I've been to Saskatchewan with the Cree Indians and hunted up there. The mule deer in my backyard, where I'm from, that is my most exciting thing to hunt. Why? Why? I, I'm, I mean, I'm working on it. But yeah, I think there's something, there's easily something that can release there. Um, in in a practical sense, in a in a non-metaphysical sense, families get together, and the picture that's on the mantle is of grandpa and his buck. The culture that I come from, there's almost there's at times there's years where there's no family photos because no one killed a buck. It's it's something so deep and so sacred. And you talk about access to the ancestors. And then there's all kinds of other totems that go with that. And if you're drawn towards hunting an animal that you resonate as or have the totem of and are called towards, that to me is a fascinating investigation. Some, some people can't shoot bears. They literally, it, it doesn't resonate with them. Oh, you know, I can relate to this. I... I think I could hunt and eat almost any animal except an octopus. Okay. And why? Like, th is know. that just a made-up thing? I think I might like the taste of it, too, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's a couple animals that, that I know I will never take the life of. I know that. And there are other animals. And I don't, I want to just say, like, I don't kill much at all. Well, oh. that was the strange thing about when the clay, my friend, I went with, he just carries this little ha thing by his hip, and he has his eye on like allegedly one buck that he did not kill, and he wasn't interested in anything that we were looking at. For himself. Yeah, for himself. Yeah, he's got experience. Yeah, he has his apparently one like there's a deer out there, but it, and it didn't come that season. Yeah, and then that's him forming that relationship to that deer, and that's a, that's a cat and mouse. That's so many things. When you pick one animal and you say, "I'm, I am not going to take the life," how do you know that that's the animal that 
there's an agreement for for you to actually take you know because you, there's an excitement there you're called to that there's an already existing relationship there that must be investigated and it keeps a guy like the guy you're talking about i guarantee you he thought about that more than he thought about about everything else all year long and you're telling me that that's not a part of his consciousness like i don't know man yeah i can pretty much guarantee that too about the thought the, the little I know, yeah. He's eat up with it. He and was it. like, I'll take you hunting. It seems like he was just waiting to see so he could see if he could see what he was looking for. Okay, so for me, uh, I am inspired mostly to be a guide. I actually prefer guiding and watching and, and being there for the process more than I actually prefer hunting for myself. But I do need to go get food, so I'll go get some food and nor normally through the year my clients uh, per give me we share the harvest often and so by the end of the season I've got plenty for the year that I never really actually had to kill even though it is my skill set that ends the life of all of these animals wow okay on that case I can get some food pretty soon myself and I trust this was good food for y'all to chew on and if you're looking to access ancestors in Austin and or whatever this means to you for that event, definitely hit me up at daniel at breakingnormal.com. And I, uh, if you want to check out the past experiences, which I, you know, people are like, what is, gonna, what is it going to be like? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it, though. <laughs> based, on, based on the previous tribe designs, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, but I think the only way to really enjoy an ice cream sundae or understand it is to take a taste. And if you feel like being one of the people that are most in as aligned as we are with this or more, then hit me up at danielabreakingtheworld.com and check out the previous events at internationaltribedesign.com. Anything else from you, Mr. Wes? Thanks, man. This is exciting. Very exciting. Thank you. Yes, yeah, I'm stoked. All right, keep breaking normally, y'all. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Thank <laughs> you.